So let's talk about Suicide Squad, What If, and are we going to have movies again? All on today's episode of the Geek Watch Podcast. This is the Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Andy Petrie. Greetings, Geek Watchers, and welcome to episode 119 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher, and with me as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Petrie. Greetings, Brian. And so let's start off with a little bit of Suicide Squad, which I have to admit, after we recorded the podcast last week, as soon as you left, I went over to the TV and just turned it on. Because you got it for free. <laughs> exactly. I'm not going to do any spoilers, mm-hmm. but I do want to talk a little bit about my impressions of the film, mm-hmm. and then we can talk about the financial side of it, because obviously that's going to be a big issue as well. Mm-hmm. But one thing I can definitely say about the film Besides the fact that I got absolutely everything I was expecting from it, (laughs) this has to be, in my opinion, the most James Gunn film I've ever seen in my life. It's the James Gunniest? James Gunnest? The most James Gunn? James Gunnish? Well, of all of his films, it is the most indicative of the styles, the tropes, and the genres that he's done throughout his career. Okay. No single film has represented his entire platform as well as this one single film does. Hmm. You know what? That's a lot to say. It's the most James Gunniest film. We'll just okay. Mm-hmm. So, honestly, if somebody had never seen a James Gunn film before, I would put on The Suicide Squad. It's a horror movie. It's a comedy. Is it? Yeah. Huh. Every little bit that he's learned over the years was distilled into this one movie, including, I would say, even his time writing and directing for Troma, which I have to say, one thing about this movie, which some people have said, they mentioned, of course, the original Suicide Squad and how Warner Brothers were all over that film. They were cutting it themselves. Mm -hmm. They gave it to two different groups of people to edit, one of them being the people that cut the trailer together, and then they just kind of mashed it together. The director got pushed out of the way. And how different that was compared to The Suicide Squad, where James Gunn was given free reign, he could do whatever he wanted. Mm -hmm. And the uh, studio had a real hands-off approach to it. Which makes you want to say, see, this is what happens when you let directors do what they want to do. And I'm going to disagree with that to a point, because I do believe that directors should have freedom to make their vision. But at the same time, when you say you should let a director do whatever they want to do, I think there are some directors that you should do that with. I think that when you have a James Gunn at the helm, you don't want to interfere. You want to let him do what he's going to do. Because he has a lot of great qualities as a director, and some of these things we'll talk about. At the same time, there are some directors that if you don't sit on them, they will bankrupt your studio. (laughs) So there are some directors that, yes, let them run. And there are some that if you're going to use them, you better keep your eye on them. (laughs) So no, you can't let any director do whatever the heck they're going to do. But that's the thing about James Gunn, is that he started out in the indies. He started out in trauma films. And... He still remembers those days. And one of the things that he remembers is that when you're doing indie films, you don't have a lot of money. And Mm -hmm. so you've got to make those dollars count. Mm -hmm. Regardless of the size of your film, once you start going into production, you're throwing money into a fire. It just goes. Mm -hmm. You're trying to get as good a film as you can get. And so you're throwing as much money at it as you can to make it good. 
But when you're independent, that money runs out and it can run out quick. And if you're not careful, you may run out of money before you get a film shot. And then you're just, mm-hmm. then you've just wasted everybody's time. You've wasted your money and you have nothing to show for it. And so I think that with James Gunn, the fact that he was able to learn under that system, I think now that he has, for all intents and purposes, a limitless budget, Mm -hmm. he's not just spending money just to spend money. He's of the mindset that every dollar that you spend, you need to be able to see on the screen. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one of the reasons why his films aren't like crazy budgeted films, even when there's a lot of special effects. I think that when you see one of his films, everything that he spent winds up on the screen. And that's definitely something I saw in this film. There was a lot of crazy stuff going on in this film. I mean, the first 10 minutes of the film, you're just stunned. You're like, I can't believe this just happened. (laughs) It was insanity. Mm -hmm. It was funny. It was gory as all get out. There were body horror aspects to this film. There was cosmic horror aspects to this film. There were moments where you just go, oh, that's horrible. (laughs) I wish I hadn't seen Mm -hmm. that. And you realize that this film had everything that you would expect in a film like this, except for one thing, and that's plot armor. Nobody has plot armor in this film. Okay. Now, there are people you're sitting here thinking, okay, well, they're going to get through. And some of them do. Uh Some of them do not. And some of the Uh names of the people who do not are shocking. I will say there is one situation that happens toward the beginning of the movie that I was completely stunned because I did not see it coming. I'm like, I didn't think they were going to do that. But they did it specifically to let you know, don't get comfortable, kids. (laughs) Anything could happen at this point. And even when they were doing the press tours for everything, James Gunn made it a point to say that Warner Brothers said, hey, I can kill off anybody that I want. Any character can go. They said, Mm -hmm. we don't care. You can kill anybody that you want. And he did. (laughs) Wow. I don't want to say any more about it than that, obviously, because that goes into spoilers. And of course, everything they've been saying about John Cena is true. He's amazing in this film. Uh, Okay. The only things I've heard about is looking at my Facebook feed and people are like, I love it or I hated it. You know, it's very uh, either end. No one's like, eh, it was all right. I've always said, first of all, that the minute somebody says it's all right, that's the kiss of death. You're better off having people really liking it and really hating it than you would somebody going, "Ah, I'm all right. Mm -hmm. I think the middle ground is where mediocrity sits. Okay. So I'm not really a big DC fan. Um, How did it go with uh, source material? Are the characters like on character? Oh, they do. And one of the things I really liked about the characters they brought in, there were a lot of characters that were really deep cuts. Polka Dot Man, for example. (laughs) Very deep cut for a character. One of the characters was Kaleidoscope, which was a one-shot character that was basically a contest where two fans were able to design a supervillain. Oh, I think it was back in the mm-hmm. 80s. They had that in during David Tennant's run of Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah, had... the Absorberloff. Yes. A little boy designed him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So apparently in a comic, they had won something where they were able to create a supervillain who appeared this one time in this comic book, and James Gunn resurrected her and brought her <laughs> in for a cameo in this movie, which was incredible. That's brilliant. That's amazing. And a lot of people were saying that Idris Elba's character was just basically another version of Deadshot. Deadshot. But this was like years ago when they first cast him. They're like, he's taking Will Smith's place. Right. But Will Smith didn't want the job. And Mm -hmm. there's a scene in the movie where Bloodsport meets Peacemaker, the John Cena character. Okay. And 
Amanda Waller is explaining how all the different people in the group, they have their own special skills that make them unique. And Bloodsport's like, he does the exact same thing that I do. <laughs> That's nothing original about, or do the same thing. And then, of course, John Cena's character, Peacemaker's like, yes, but I do it better. <laughs> And so what's great about this is that you're acknowledging you have a character that's like another character, but then you bring in an additional character that's like both of those characters to play off of that. And then you have this great rivalry. There's this one scene where they're both killing people and they're trying to one up each other. Mm -hmm. And it turns out horribly bad because this is a suicide squad. (laughs) And I don't want to go any farther than that, but oh goodness, it goes bad. But there were so many great little deep cuts in this film. This was something that you had to be kind of a fanboy to know some of this stuff. But it didn't gatekeep. You didn't just have to be a fan. Like, you could still, like, you had no idea about Polka Dot, but yay, you know. It's like, but I didn't know all the references. Mm -hmm. And some of them I missed. I don't know how much you know about Batman, The Long Halloween. I know they just made an animated movie of it. They certainly did. And And Alan Tudyk Mm -hmm. plays, like, the, I guess, the main villain? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Uh Somebody known as Calendar Man. Calendar Man, that's right, yes. Yes, who was a low-tier character in the old comics, and then with Long Halloween, they Mm -hmm. really beefed him up as a villain. And Calendar Man appears in the Suicide Squad. Really? Oh, wow. See, it sounds to me like one of those villains that they made up for the TV show, like when they brought in Liberace to play a villain, and they named him Shandell after the chandelier. Like They were making them up just for the movie and for that star who's guest starred on the movie, or the movie, that movie star that guest starred on the old Adam West Batman. Right. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of, in this movie, a lot of deep cuts. I have to say that the direction on this was amazing. There were some really great scenes, really gorgeous set pieces. There's a fight scene that takes place. I don't want to say any more than that it's a fight scene, uh, but you're seeing it from the viewpoint of the reflection on Peacekeeper's helmet. He has a mm-hmm. shiny helmet, and you're looking at the reflection of this fight going on off of his helmet, which Neat. was a very, yeah, really beautifully, gorgeously filmed. In some cases, graphic, but not overly so. It was graphic when it needed to be, and it didn't overstay its welcome when it was. Mm-hmm. And Margot Robbie has a fight scene. that You've seen pieces of it in the trailer, but it's stunning. Mm-hmm. Until you see this whole thing, it's, it's almost like a single take. There are some cuts in it. But there are some long moments of her doing some incredible stunt work. Mm -hmm. Which, of course, Marco Robbie's been doing stunt work for a while. Mm -hmm. But you get to see some really amazing stuff. And you get to see kind of in her head what goes on in her brain when she's fighting or whatever. And that was fascinating. But everybody got their chance to shine. And there wasn't anybody, I feel, that got short shrifted. Everybody had their moment to shine. And there were twists and turns along the way. And I thought it was a really good film. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. It was certainly, to my mind, better than the first one, but only because everything seemed to have worked against that film. It seemed like Mm -hmm. the studio. At that time, Warner Brothers was very micromanaging. Mm -hmm. And I do like the fact that they were willing to take a hands-off approach with a director that deserved that approach. Mm -hmm. And they've already said, hey, Mr. Gunn, sir, if you want to come back and direct something, (laughs) please feel free to do so. (laughs) The other thing, too, I think that he picked up specifically from working with Troma and his indie film experience is he definitely has a respect for actors, because especially in in the indie film market, I mean, you're not paying these people a whole lot of money. Mm -hmm. And so they're doing you a favor. And so you have to treat them well. I mean, you want to get performances out of them that 
are going to work. And at the same time, they want to give you performances that are going to make them look good on on screen. Mm -hmm. But working in the indies does make you very actor-centric. You're very cognizant of the actors on your set and making sure to take care of them and to show them in the best light. Where some bigger directors, they just see the actors as a tool to use to manifest their vision. Mm-hmm. And James Gunn is definitely not that person. His mind is definitely on the actors and getting the best out of them, but also showing them in the best light. I remember stories of him on Guardians of the Galaxy when he was directing that. One of the things that he would do is when an actor gave what he felt was like an extraordinary performance, he would just give him a little small can of Play-Doh. Aww. You know, it's like, you that was awesome. Here, here's your can of Play-Doh. And it was a kind of a silly little thing. Now you have coveted Play-Doh, yes. Exactly. It doesn't surprise me that any actor that's ever worked with James Gunn is constantly talking about what a great director he is, what a genius that he is. And it was the same thing in the press junkets for The Suicide Squad. Mm -hmm. And so this movie, I really enjoyed it. It did everything it was trying to do. It gave me everything I was looking for in the film. And under any normal circumstance, this would have been a $100 million opening weekend. But it wasn't. It certainly wasn't a normal circumstance. Do you remember normal circumstances? Not well. <laughs> Beverage Farm remembers, but <laughs> this wasn't normal at all. Mm-mm. Domestically, it did. Well, it broke records. It was the number one film in the country at $26 million domestic hmm. opening. Wow. <laughs> so with an international box office of about $45 million, it was about around $71 million opening total. Scary to think Waterworld made more than that. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of movies have made more than that. I mean, you look at Birds of Prey. It wasn't a bad film, but it certainly didn't have the reviews that this film had. It's opening box office domestic, I think, like $33 million. It's like we talked about last week. What's going to happen because of the fact that you can just turn on HBO Max and watch it for free, which is what I did. Mm-hmm. I and over 2 million households also, mm-hmm. which um, you think about it, 2 million Assuming $10 a ticket and one person per household, which is really stretching it, obviously, that's $20 million just gone. Obviously, it would have been a lot more. And of course, I've heard people saying, you know, they've watched this movie on HBO Max multiple times. Mm-hmm. They've watched it more than once, and they've enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. But it's no extra money to be made. Mm-mm. This, in any normal circumstance, I really feel would have broke $100 million. But it didn't. Because I don't feel like it could have. Which leads me to talk about what are movie studios going to do? Because they're throwing everything at the wall to try to figure out how do we make money making movies. I mean, even Netflix, they've got some of the greatest TV shows on right now. But some of their great TV shows get canceled after three seasons because they stop making money after that. It's new programming that gets them their money. Right. So, you know, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina got canceled. Uh, Stranger Things is lucky. It's getting the run, the seasons that it's getting. But there are all these others that they will last like three seasons and then Netflix moves on to the next new project. Yeah. The thing with HBO and Netflix and those streaming services, they just want people to stay on and keep paying. Mm -hmm. So they don't really care what the program is that does that. They just want there to be at least one. But they can't afford for people to get bored. Mm-hmm. and say, well, I'm going to use this money and buy another streaming service this next month. They got to keep people interested, and novelty is kind of it. But the movie studios themselves, they're trying every iteration of 
how to market a movie and how to present it to see what works. Mm -hmm. You've got Disney and Marvel that are putting their films out in theaters and on streaming for a little extra fee. Then you got places like Warner Brothers that are putting their movies out in theaters and on streaming. For free. And then you have movies like Free Guy that are not going on streaming at all. They're saying, no, you can't watch this on streaming. You've got to go to the movie theater to see it. I didn't know that. You can't go to streaming. Mm -hmm. It's not on a pay-per-view. They're looking at this film and going, well, let's see how well it does if we don't stream it. Although it's a 20th Century Fox movie, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously Disney owns 20th Century Fox at this point. So I think that in a sense, what they're trying to do is they're trying to see if this movie does well mm -hmm. and if it can do well only in theaters. And then you have this situation with A24, which shocked the heck out of me because this was something completely different. They've had this film out in theaters for a while. Green Knight? Yes. You've heard of that? I've one. heard, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I know the legend because I, I love Arthurian legend. Right. Uh, so I know the story of it and, you know, the beheading contest and everything. I right. haven't seen this one, but I know of it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing a film version of this on HBO years ago where it was uh, Sir Sean Connery played the Green really? Knight. Really? Yes. Oh, I would like to see that. He was a glittery green knight, yes. <laughs> and I remember his version of it. I hadn't seen this one. Mm -hmm. But A24 decided they wanted to try something out. So what they're doing is they're doing this promotion. It's called One Night Only, K-N-I-G-H-T, One mm -hmm. Night Only. And so Wednesday the 18th, uh, next week mm -hmm. from when we've recorded this, they're going to release it streaming for one day and not okay. even a whole day just part of a day okay so what they're going to do is you can buy tickets to watch this movie at home and from 9 p.m to one in the morning there's this window when you will be able to take that ticket and watch the movie okay from nine to one you can't use the ticket before 9 p.m mm -hmm. on wednesday and you will not be able to use it after 1 p.m. Thursday. Do you remember the golden age of television miniseries? When you had to be there to watch Yes. It. Yeah, Roots. Yes. And <laughs> yeah. Thornbirds. The Thornbirds. That's what the, that reminds me of. You have to be there to watch it. Yeah. So basically, Wednesday at 9 is when it starts. And once you start watching the movie, so you've got from 9 at night to 1 in the morning to start watching it. Once you start watching it, you have a four-hour window that you're going to be able to watch it. Then can you watch it over and over again, or do you only get one showing? You've got four hours. So you get anything you want? Yeah. Okay. And there's some behind-the-scenes stuff okay. and, and other extra content you can watch. But if you started at nine, four hours later, you can't watch any of it anymore. Hmm. You know, if you started at one in the morning, mm -hmm. then by five, you're done. But it's on a weekday, 9 p.m., on a work day, you're going to be paying to watch a movie in the middle of the night. That is just weird to me. I don't know mm. how this works. Mm. I'm not sure how that's going to work, especially since this movie has already been out in the theaters for a while. Mm -hmm. I would say that the majority of people who wanted to watch this movie have done so already. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe it's a question of, well, they wanted to see the film, but they didn't want to take the risks. Mm -hmm. And so this is going to be an interesting That's experiment. kind of where I'm at because I do want to see it, but I'm willing to wait. I'm okay with waiting. This opportunity to watch it on a weekday in the middle of the night. I hate to say this, but it wouldn't surprise me if they, if nobody. It's a school night. <laughs> it's a school. I got to go to work in the morning <laughs> mm -hmm. or whatever. I don't see them doing a great deal of business mm -hmm. with this model. I don't see this working out at all. I have been wrong before. I could be wrong now. 
Next week, I may be eating crow because it just did gangbusters. And I'll be the first to admit, hey, I obviously didn't know what I was talking about. But I just don't see how it does. Maybe in some alternate universe, some multiverse where Wednesday and Thursday are the two days of the weekend, this would have worked. Mm-hmm. I just don't see where this is going to... Yeah, those those second shifters, people who... I'm not sure. Yeah, I think some people will take advantage of it, but I don't think an awful lot are. So what platform is it going to be on? I think it's going to be on its own platform. I think it, we're going to be watching this from a computer, basically. Okay. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm going to keep my eyes on it. Mm-hmm. Maybe, but you know, since this is going to happen on Wednesday, by Thursday, maybe we'll know what's going on. We'll have something to say. We'll have the, there'll be numbers, perhaps. We'll see. That's one of the issues with streaming is it can be very difficult sometimes to get actual numbers, but we'll see if there's any news about it because I am really interested to find out how this turns out. Yeah. But let's end the program with what if. And I forgot to mention this last time because we had gotten into a lot of conversations about things, and I did want to do a what the if, Mm -hmm. which doesn't sound like (laughs) what I said. I said, what the if? I F, what the if? (laughs) So we're going to do what the if. And unfortunately, very much like WandaVision would have been a headache to do a a music bumper at the beginning because it kept changing it. Uh The music bumper for what if is definitely not, you know, it's it's very quiet and it's mostly talking. So. Mm We can, uh, I can do that. Just listen to the watcher. So, there you go. <laughs> the so, watcher says, and there were two podcasters in an office in West Virginia, <laughs> and that changed everything. I do like the watcher's voice. Oh, um, yeah. I knew he, he was on Westworld. That's mm-hmm. what I knew him from. Yeah. And he does have that kind of perfect tone. I don't know how to yeah. describe it. it well, it's a he, good, yeah. good fit. Because you got that great framing story. And you certainly have that moment of nostalgia for the Twilight Zone. Mm, yes, very much. You get that. Rod Serling kind of. Yes. Yeah. So what did you think? Episode one's in the books. I loved it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a little snippet. A lot of the scenes were very, you know, straight out of Captain America. The Red Skull going into uh, the New Asgard, whatever it was called. What was it before it was New Asgard? The, new, the city. Yeah, and, yeah, and getting the, the Tesseract. And love that. That was adorable. You know, Peggy, she looked good. She didn't look like bulky, but she still looked like she could really kick some tail. And I love the style. It, it felt very rotoscope. Not too anime, not too cartoony. I think very rotoscope. And I like what they did with Steve. That was fun. As the Hydra Stomper. And he was basically like a prototype to Iron Man. Howard was looking in the future and... Howard Stark says, I spent a weekend with Hedy Lamar and knowing history about Hedy Lamar and what she did during World War II. Think about her as a sexy actress and stuff like that. But she was working on jamming signals, yeah. radio signals. She was a genius. Yeah, yes, she was an inventor. Uh-huh. She worked on multi-frequency guidance systems for missiles. Yes. That- In fact, a lot of the technology she created is what we use in Bluetooth to this day. That's perfect. You know, that's, uh, and her and Howard Stark hanging out together. The joke is she wasn't teaching me German. The joke is, you know, they were probably having sex. I don't think so. I think they were talking shop. <laughs> I that's, think they were talking shop. <laughs> that's what I really liked about mm-hmm. that line, because it's something you could take both ways. And if you only know the history of her as the most beautiful woman in the world, which was how she was billed, mm-hmm. 
then you're like, oh, they were uh-huh. all hanky-panky. But if you know that she was an inventor who worked on frequencies, who helped Howard Hughes make his planes more aerodynamic. Oh, I don't know if I knew that. That's awesome. Yeah. Like she the w- other Howard. Yeah. <laughs> Which Howard am I with this week? Oh, I love it. You know, if you know that aspect, <laughs> then that line has another connotation to it. <laughs> and it really does, in a sense, that line is kind of a bit of a challenge to the audience. It's like, okay, what do you think he meant by that? Mm-hmm. I know yeah. what, well, I know what I think. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, you think it's hanky panky, but mm-hmm. she was an inventor in her own right and a very intelligent woman and someone who could very well hold her own scientifically with the likes of a Howard Stark. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know that, get familiar. <laughs> but kind of on that subject, I am going to say this about episode one. If someone is the type of person who, when they watched Masters of the Universe Revelation, uh-huh. and they were upset because He-Man was barely in it, mm-hmm. Tila took over pretty much, and they're trying to make her into the new He-Man. If someone is of that mind, they're not going to like this show. <laughs> Because that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, Steve Rogers became the side character. Peggy became the new Captain America. Well, in this case, Captain Carter. Captain Carter or uh, what, Union Jack. What do they call the British Captain America? Well, there's a Captain Britain. but Ca- Is there a Captain Britain? Oh, there is. I don't know why I thought it was Union Jack. Yeah, Brian Braddock. There was a Union huh. Jack as well. Okay. But Brian Braddock, Captain Britain, is not a super soldier. He's more of a mystical superhero. Okay. Mm-hmm. I would say he's closer to Shazam. That's what I was just thinking. It was like Superman versus Shazam. All right. Yeah. Got it. He's, he's very much like a, mm-hmm. a Shazam type character. Yeah. If you're not really cool with a uh, kick butt female taking over for what used to be the male character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This might not. Uh, Wait till the next episode and then hate that one for some ridiculous reason. There you go. <laughs> Here's what I will say about the show. Looking at, first of all, the animation. I was spending so much time, my mouth just wide open in Mm -hmm. shock because the animation in this show is so good. Mm -hmm. For example, let's take the one scene where Peggy goes to Germany to retrieve the Tesseract. Mm -hmm. That whole scene, first of all, you see her fighting in the middle of the town square. And when you see scenery behind you in the buildings... It has a bokeh effect. Hmm. It's blurry. Fa- yeah, I was about to say, the, the faded look, look. It's blurry. Huh. Just like they were filming it out of a camera. Yeah. Somebody took the time to animate a blurry background to give this thing depth. Mm-hmm. Very often, animated films don't have that depth of background because mm-hmm. the stuff behind you looks just as clear as what's... Mm-hmm. It's flat. It's 2D. It's, it's, very, mm-hmm. it's very flat. Yeah. This absolutely was not. They made it a point to put depth in. And even to the point, like I said, they used bokeh effects. Now, mm-hmm. they drew it in, but they did. That's why everything looks... And that's where, in a sense, when you were talking about the rotoscope effect, it yeah, feels was... like somebody was drawing on top of pictures yes. because of the fact that you're getting depth of field. And in the same scene, the play of light and shadow when Peggy is fighting in front of the headlights of the truck, you see her cutting through the beams of the lights and you see the light and the shadow change over her frame as she's going through the lights and fighting. Very Steven Spielberg-esque. Mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg loves using these harsh lights and having things cutting through them. Mm-hmm. I was just yeah. gobsmacked. It was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And it was not something you expect to see from an animated movie or any kind of a show. Right. They don't take the time to do something like that. 
And there were there was this great use of light and shadow in the entire show. Mm-hmm. And it was very thoughtful, very mindful. And it's those attentions to detail that I just love. Because mm-hmm. they could have just thrown this into a computer and let it go and just draw a few things and put it together. But they didn't. They gave this just as much time and attention as they would any other show. Yeah, and it was gorgeous. And mm-hmm. it was beautiful. And I love the heck out of it. I'm excited for more. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. One thing about the show that I absolutely loved was the moment, the Nexus event that caused all of this to happen was just a one simple thing. Peggy Carter decided to stay in the room. Mm -hmm. And there were several references to being allowed in the room. Yeah. Uh You're lucky to be in the room. room. Yes. And I never watched Agent Carter, the show, but I figured that was probably a lot of it being a woman and trying to get her way in in a man's world. Well, some people have the mind that if something bad has happened in the past, the best way to deal with it is let's just pretend like it never happened. (laughs) And I'm not going to go into all the politics about that. We all know what they are. But I just think it was great that this show was willing to acknowledge certain realities of the time because... By doing that, it allowed them to tell a great story and really to give a great moral lesson, which is if you want to make change, you've got to be willing to stay in the room when everybody else is trying to get you out because they want things to stay the same. And that's not going to happen if there are people with different viewpoints, different mindsets, different ways of doing things in the room. Mm-hmm. And whenever you're being pushed out of the room, you need to resist that. It's not always easy to do. Mm -hmm. But don't let people quiet your voice, especially when you know you're saying something that's true and is right. Because if you let somebody run over you, it's almost immoral. When you have something to say, you need to say it. And as a cis white male, that's easy for me to say. I understand that for a lot of people, it's a lot harder. But I was so happy to see that something like that was expressed in the show. And not going into too many spoilers, but obviously just by looking at the trailers for the entire series, we haven't seen the last of Captain Carter. Right. And where I was of the mind that these were all going to be all self-contained stories, after seeing this first one, I'm getting the idea that maybe there is going to be a bit of a through line. Okay. Especially if they're going to be using Captain Carter again, and I think more than one episode. Mm -hmm. So there are rumors that there is going to be some multiversal major threat that a lot of these little pockets of realities are going to have to come together to help solve. Just in the stuff that we've seen so far, I cannot wait to see what they do with this. Mm -hmm. This sets a bar. Mm -hmm. And then when you have good story to back up the great artwork, and then on top of that, you just have this great series of characters. And now, in a real sense, we can say that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has their Wonder Woman. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know, because after all, Captain Carter does fight with a shield and a sword. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have the bar- Yeah, where'd that sword come from? <laughs> I watched that scene twice. I was like, they're in this warehouse and there's no reason for that sword to be hanging on the wall. None whatsoever. <laughs> well, you know, it's a castle, so they hang weapons up on the wall. So yeah. <laughs> it might have been a little bit convenient, but mm-hmm. oh, it was awesome to see her. And oh my God, the fight scenes. Mm-hmm. But again, it goes back to the animation style. It's just amazing. And um, definitely, I can't wait to see what happens next. This is going to be incredible. and It'll be a def- fun ride. And we'll definitely be talking about that next mm-hmm. week. And so with that said, we come to the end of episode 118 of the Geek Watch podcast. Thank you for listening and tune in next week for the latest in geek news and views with the Geek Watch podcast. From Andy Petrie, this is Brian Hatcher reminding all the Geek Watchers out there, we're all geeky about something. Be proud of yours. See you next time. 
thank you for listening to the Geek Watch Podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the Geek Watch Podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The Geek Watch Podcast is a Hanging J production.